This is Psalmcast. To talk about the Psalms, we must first talk about the Old Testament, or more properly, the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Hebrew Old Testament. It's an acronym that stands for the Torah, which is the law, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. We're used to thinking of the Old Testament in our Western genre-driven categories, where law comes first, first five books of the Bible, then we have narrative, then we have all the poetry books and the wisdom books, and then we have prophets. That's our Old Testament. It's arranged by genre. But this is not how the Hebrews considered the Old Testament. The Tanakh is a different beast entirely. It's the same books, but it's very different. Consider the name Tanakh. It's an acronym, and it tells us something about how the ancient Hebrews considered their scriptures. It shows unity. The Old Testament is a collection of books. It's a, it's a united collection, a book of books. But it's also a unity that's found in three parts. The Tanakh in itself represents three distinct units. Law, prophets, writings. Three in one. Let's look at this in more depth. The Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. The first part of the Tanakh is the Torah. The Torah itself is a book of the five books of Moses. So this is a book within a book. And this book has five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. These cover creation through to the death of Moses. The second is the Nevi'im, or the prophets. Now when we think of prophets, we would consider individuals like Isaiah, or Daniel, or Jeremiah, or one of the twelve that we can't remember. <laughs> but in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets actually included Joshua through kings, what we would consider the historical books. The prophets were these historical books, and then the, what we would consider the more traditional prophets, like Isaiah and so on. But they recognized these books, Joshua through Kings, they recognized them as prophetic writings being preserved or written by the prophets. They serve a prophetic function because they, just like the prophets, they looked at Israel's fidelity, or sadly lack thereof, to the Torah, to God's wisdom. They looked at God's own people and said, are you matching up? Are you living up to the standards that God has put forth in the Torah, his wisdom, his guidance. So these books, Joshua through Kings, these also served this prophetic function. They're known as the former prophets, right? Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. And each one of these is combined into one book. So Joshua and Judges, of course, are, are remaining the same. But Samuel is not one and two Samuel, it's just Samuel. And Kings is not first and second Kings, it's just simply Kings. These were known as the former prophets, and what they called the latter prophets are what we would normally consider as the traditional prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the twelve as well. Though, interestingly, no Daniel. Daniel is not in the latter prophets, according to the Tanakh order. Now these books, the former and latter prophets, they cover the conquest of the land of Israel through to the exile, where the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel were exiled to Assyria and Babylon. 
respectively. Then the third division of the Tanakh is the Ketuvim, or the writings, and it's here where we find the Psalms. This collection almost seems like the, the junk drawer, right? The, everything that's left. We find Proverbs, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Ruth, Esther, Daniel, interestingly, and Chronicles as well. Chronicles is not found amongst the former prophets. In our English orders, we have it with Samuel, Kings, and then Chronicles. But in the Tanakh order, it is placed in the writings. In fact, it ends the writings. It ends the Tanakh, along with Ezra and Nehemiah coming before it. So this division covers the exile to the return. Now, as we look at the Tanakh, the question that we could ask is, isn't this just all semantics? Is If it's the same books of the Bible, then what does it matter what order they are in? Does this really change anything? Does it really make any difference at all? Well, one difference it makes is that we need to recognize that the Tanakh was Jesus' Bible. Not the Old Testament order that we have, but the Tanakh. According to a scholar named Stephen Dempster, the oldest order was clearly that of the Hebrew canon, right, the Tanakh, and there is strong evidence that this was the Bible of Jesus Christ. Well, what sort of evidence do we find that this is the Bible as Jesus understands it? Well, there's some historical evidence, some other ancient writings, but even looking just at the New Testament itself, it regularly refers to the Tanakh. We, of course, it would be easy to find references to the law or the law and the prophets in the New Testament. And again, that's not referring to just the Torah and then Isaiah and the Twelve and, and so on. That's referring to the, the law and then the second division of the, the law, prophets, and writings, the prophets, the former and latter prophets. But then we can look elsewhere at some specific verses where Jesus himself in Luke 24:44 said, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now here it seems quite clear that Jesus is referring to this threefold division of the Tanakh, the law of Moses, the Torah, the prophets, and then the writings. But hold on a second. Jesus said Psalms. He didn't say writings. Well, it appears that Jesus used Psalms because it was the first book of the writings. This whole practice of naming a group after the, the name of the first item of the group, this is a common practice that's used elsewhere in the Bible. So this is not far-fetched to say that when Jesus says Psalms, he's referring to all of the writings. Also, the name writings, that's a very broad name, isn't it? So it's fitting that at the time there might not have been a generic name for this, let, this collection of writings. So this is why it matters. It matters because the Hebrew order of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, was Jesus' Bible. So this is how he thought about his scriptures. He thought about it in the Old Testament order of the Tanakh, not the English Old Testament order that we would have in virtually all of our Bibles. It's specifically the Tanakh that was Jesus' Bible. Now, I'm not saying that our English Bibles are wrong, that somehow we should 
cut out the first you know, three quarters or first two thirds of the old, of the Bible and just and throw it out. I'm not saying that our English Old Testament is wrong and that we should somehow throw out the majority of our Bibles, you know, the Old Testament. But given the choice, I'd prefer to think about the Old Testament the way that Jesus did. So I personally like to use the Tanakh ordering. And really, that's just a mental thing because I still have my Bible in the English order, but I think about it in the Old Testament order that Jesus would have thought about it. So what difference does it make, though? Sure, Jesus thought about the Bible this way, but does it really make any difference still? Well, there are wider theological implications if we adopt the Hebrew Old Testament. It makes a difference. Some of these go far beyond the scope of this podcast, and I I just cannot get into them in this episode. But on the episode page associated on the website, I will list some recommended resources that will address the issue of what difference does it make broadly. We're going to look at what difference it makes for the Psalter. So what difference does it make for the Psalter? Well, let's go back to the Psalter and consider it. In the writings, Psalms comes either first or second. We have some... There's a small debate here, as modern Hebrew Old Testaments have the Psalms first. But it appears that the oldest list we have of the Tanakh lists Ruth first. There's some debate here, as I said. But this is likely because Ruth introduces David, the key figure of the Psalms. So either way, the Psalms, I really think, is the forefront book of the writings. Whether it comes after Ruth or whether it is very much the first book, it's still the forefront book of the writings. So what difference does this make for the Psalter that it's the first? This is not a book in the poetical section of our Bibles, but this is the first item and foremost item of the writings. Isn't that interesting? It changes its status. In the in terms of the threefold collection of the Old Testament, this introduces the third collection. Now, there are two major differences that I think that it makes, practically. The first is the context. See, we're used to thinking of, of the Psalms as being ancient songs written, most of them, or large majority of them, by David, and they record the ancient music of Israel. Now, there's nothing... Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that description I just gave. But we need to think about the Psalter in another context as well, and that is the context of exile. It might be a surprise to think of the Psalms this way, because so many of them were written before the exile, if we assume that David did write the Psalms that are attached to his name. But we must remember two things. First of all, by being placed in the writings, it is placed amongst... Other books that have to do with the exile, such as Esther, Lamentations, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, even Chronicles. There is a very consistent theme in the writings of the exile and the return from exile. So, the Psalter being the first book of the writings has this theme of exile to it. What's more, we must remember that the Psalter is not just a collection of Psalms, But in itself, it is a book. And this book was finished towards the end of the exile, the beginning of the return. How do we know this? Well, because some of the Psalms, Psalm 137, for example, refer to the exile. So the Psalter must have been completed during or after the exile. And then we even have some Psalms like 126, that seem to indicate that the return from the exile has begun. 
even if it's just begun in a small way. So the Psalter, it appears, has been completed. The Psalter that we have in our Bibles has been completed as this, the exile is returning, as the exiles are returning to Israel, even if it's at the very beginning stage. So the point here is the Psalter has an exilic flavor to it. And this raises some questions then. How would the exiles, those who put together the Psalter, how would they have thought about the Psalter? How would they have considered these songs? Think about it. The Psalter contains songs written by Israel's greatest king about kingship. There are songs about the temple. There are songs about the twelve tribes united in the land. There are songs about God giving his king victory. There are songs about God's people lamenting their own suffering. David himself lamented his own suffering in many psalms. Here you've got songs about the king, about the temple, about all twelve tribes in the land, about Israel's suffering. The exiles would have found these psalms as very comforting and meaningful for their own time. And when they complete the Psalter, they're thinking of these psalms in light of their own experience. And even beyond their own experience, they're looking to these psalms as hopeful, maybe even prophetic, right? Because they're seeing references to Israel's king, songs by Israel's greatest king. There are these royal psalms throughout the Psalter that aren't true at the time of the Psalter being completed, right? They're not simply reminiscing, oh, wasn't it great when we had a king, but of course we're not going to have one again. No, they're looking to these psalms and they're saying, we will have a new king like David. We'll have a greater king these royal psalms will be fulfilled. The temple will be restored, and, and so on. So it appears that the Psalter was formed in such a way to reflect on the exile, but also hope for its reversal. Even the songs from the time of David could be read in light of events that came after him. For example, Psalm 14. It's a well-known psalm about the fool that declares that there is no God. It ends surprisingly with the following verse. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Now, this is a psalm of David. Did David write this line during his own time? Or was this line added later during the exile? The words could apply well of the exile and its own times. So by being placed in the exilic context, the Psalter and David become associated with a messianic hope, a hope of restoration, an eschatological hope, which we'll return to later. Another implication of placing the Psalms, or considering the Psalms within the Tanakh order as the first item in the writings, is that there is a fascinating detail that only works according to the Tanakh structure. This is what John Salehammer calls compositional seams at the edges of the law, prophets, and writings. If we think of the Tanakh as having three units, law, prophets, writings, the seams are the connecting points between the ending of the law, the beginning of the prophets, the ending of the prophets, the beginning of the writings. These seams are themes, really, that recur at these three connecting points. And the themes are Torah and Messiah. If we look at the end of the Torah, we find that Deuteronomy 34 ends with the final words of the Torah, closing 
by noting that no prophet like Moses ever arose. Then the final words of the prophets, which is Malachi 4, they await the coming of Elijah before the Messiah, the messenger of the covenant. So here at the end of the Torah and the prophets, we have this hope of, of a coming figure, a prophetic Messiah figure who did not yet come. And then looking at the beginning of the prophets, where the law transitions to the prophets, and looking at the beginning of the writings, where the prophets transition into the writings, we find a focus on the Torah. Joshua 1 continues on and begins the prophets. And Joshua 1 speaks of delighting in the law day and night. Interestingly, the first book of the writings, the Psalms, begins with Psalm 1, which is has many verbal parallels to Joshua 1. Most clearly the idea of meditating on the law, day and night. This idea is found in both Joshua 1 and Psalms 1. So by following the Tanakh order, we see that the Psalter carries on this feature, the feature of Torah and Messiah. Interestingly enough, the Psalter even reproduces the Torah Messiah feature in itself. Right, Psalm 1 is not the only introduction to the Psalter. Psalm 2 comes right after it. And Psalm 2 speaks of the Son of God, the King. So Psalms itself contains this twofold Torah and Messiah theme that we find at the seams of the Tanakh. So we will return to Psalms 1 and 2 in a near episode. But I wanted to just point out those two things. So what difference does it make when we think about the Psalms in the Hebrew Old Testament order as not being just a, one of the poetical writings, but actually being the beginning of the third unit in the Tanakh, the writings? It has three significant implications. First of all, we want to think about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the way that Jesus thought about his own Bible, which was in the form of the Tanakh. Secondly, the Psalter being the first book in the writings gives it a, an exilic hope, an exilic focus, and a post-exilic, right, a messianic and eschatological end times hope and focus. The Psalter speaks to the trials of Israel in the exile and the hopes of the future. So the Psalms are not looking backwards, they're actually looking forwards when we think of them in this context. Thirdly, they also continue this theme of Torah and Messiah that we find in the Tanakh alone. This way of looking at the Old Testament doesn't work in the English Old Testament order. It only works if we consider the Old Testament the way that Jesus did in the Tanakh order. I'm sure there's much more that could be said about placing the Psalms in the Tanakh and remembering its original context. But this is enough for now. Remember, context changes everything. Given all the things that you could be doing right now, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider posting a review by going to psalmcast.info or sharing this episode with a friend. The show notes can also be found on the website, which is psalmcast.info. Podcasting is a big endeavor, but it's also a great opportunity. So please check out my Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. There are exciting rewards that can be found nowhere else. My page can be found also through psalmcast.info.
All music is by Teen Days. You can check him out on Bandcamp or anywhere good music can be found. If you're still listening, then I'm impressed. You should look up my other podcast called Beyond Reading the Bible. And hey, don't forget to check out my Patreon page at psalmcast.info.